The time has come, so turn up the sound. It's time for Buried Broadway. Hiya. Hello. I'm Jen Beverelli. And I'm Mikey Beverelli. And welcome to Buried Broadway. Where we discover, dissect, and demystify forgotten Broadway musicals. That we most likely found on vinyl for a dollar. So here we are. We're back. We've made it. For real. So the last episode was actually recorded pre-fire, but this one is our first (laughs) post-fire show. (laughs) That sounds so weird. Um, But it does feel very different. We're in a completely different area. mm -hmm. We are in my parents' basement. Which we'll see how that affects sound quality, but there's no stomping neighbors. There might be my parents. I don't know. <laughs> true, true, true. Um, there's unfortunately no cats and birds. Which for me is fine. I guess just unfortunately for me because sometimes I like saying some certain points and, and rubbing a cat's head. But oh well. <laughs> <laughs> what can you do? On um, this audio format, Mikey's like, I want to touch a fuzzy animal. Yes. It's so comforting. It is. But talking about musicals is comforting, especially when there are none happening. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Although now there are drive-thru musicals. What? Right? Like, or, I mean, at least in the UK there are. They have, like, drive-in stuff. I don't know. They're drive-in drag shows. I know that. Yes, yes, there are. And there are certainly theaters that have been putting on shows anyway. I mean, as long as you're doing it safely, Mm -hmm. I just, I'm... I'm a nervous Nelly, as we discussed. So I just want everyone to be safe and healthy and happy. And if being happy means that you go do a show 20 feet away from other people with a COVID test, then go do it. But that would make me very nervous. So it would not make me happy at the moment. But if it makes you happy, do it. Yes. But talking about musicals will not hurt you. What? Um, What? talking about musicals is still allowed yes there's nothing (laughs) against that especially in the safety of your own home right so we hope you're being safe we hope you're wearing a mask if you're outside and oh take your vitamins (laughs) but if you're like me and you don't feel comfortable leaving the house there is a ton of stuff on the internet the internet is not just for porn it is for (laughs) other things and if you don't know the reference then i'm very sorry and i'm really not that disgusting i have seen so many digital shows advertised where you can buy tickets to an online zoom show or whatever platform people use there's many different kinds and they'll do a musical or they'll do a reading of a play or you can view an already taped version of a stage musical it's amazing and if you miss theater like we do That is a great way to access, legally, some musicals and support theaters that are really not getting a lot of money right now. Yes, I would definitely like to thank all the content creators who are putting things out. Definitely keep doing what you're doing, having a good time. But if you are on the interwebs enjoying all of this stuff, why have you not followed us on the interwebs? Yes, we are all over those interwebs, as you say. We are on Instagram at Buried Broadway, and you can find more trivia on today's show if you follow us there. Or we are on Facebook at 
buried Broadway. All of this information can be found on our website. Beverelli.com. If you want to get in touch, just follow this address. It's B-E-V-A-R-E-L-L-I dot com. So, Mikey, why don't you tell us about the show we're going to cover today and also in two weeks? <laughs> I'd be happy to talk about the show. Firstly, I want to set the scene. It is fall. It is October. To yeah, be everyone exact. knows this. Well, maybe if you're listening <laughs> in the future. Oh, true, true, yes, true, yes, true. Yes, yes, um, it, uh, it is spooky season. I love spooky season because um, I am a big horror fan. And I, I have to pronounce it like that because I don't want to say horror. Um. One thing about horror is that there's not a ton of horror musicals outside of the, the Evil Sweeney Dead, Todd. the musical. Yes, and Sweeney Todd and Jekyll and Hyde. There's a few sprinkled, few and far between, but this one is special. This one is a sci-fi musical. For listeners outside of the United States, you might listen to the title and be like, what are they talking about? This is not a obscure piece but in the united states it is fairly unknown today we are talking about jeff wayne's musical version of the war of the worlds dun, dun, dun. <laughs> yes it is a war of the worlds the musical super excited yes we have been wanting to talk about this show for quite a while well we said we we're gonna talk about it at halloween mm-hmm. and here we are here we are halloween we bought this album at Idle Time Book, which is now Lost City Books in Adams Morgan, D.C. Yes, and when we saw it, we had no idea what it was. So this show didn't have a typical show path, so giving statistics like we normally do is kind of difficult. It did finally have a West End debut in 2016 at the Dominion Theater. Where we randomly ended up seeing Big, the musical. <laughs> Additionally, I actually saw We Will Rock You at Dominion Theater. Oh, see, like that would have been good. Mm-hmm. So in the West End production, Liam Neeson was, was kind of in it. He was a pre-recorded narrator. He was in it. He got paid. Oh, yeah. But before this production, the musical lived almost solely in an audio format for 38 years The recording we have and are going to play for you is a concept album that was released in 1978. It was an instant hit in the UK and Europe and spent 260 consecutive weeks on the UK album charts upon initial release. And it was in the top 10 in 22 countries, not the US, and was number one in 11 countries. There were also three video games of this musical created in 1984, 1998, and 1999. Oh my god, it's a little excessive. (laughs) So much video game. They all used Richard Burton's voiceovers and instrumentals by Jeff Wayne. It finally had an arena tour that started in 2006 that spanned two continents and two years. Now, Richard Burton was technically in these two, even though he was long dead, 22 years to be exact. But he was still able to be a part of its first production. They used his voiceover in line with an animated bust of himself. Creepy. (laughs) (laughs) 
Jeff Wayne, the writer, conducted, and two people from the original cast were in their original roles. It has been on and off touring ever since with different names and production aesthetics, including... Deadly Black Smoke from The Fighting Machines and Richard Burton's face superimposed onto a live actor in 2009, the 30th anniversary tour. Extra creepy. Yes. In 2012, they added the subtitle, The New Generation, Alive on Stage, with new music from Jeff Wayne with more synthesizers, and a new (laughs) recording was done featuring Liam Neeson in place of Richard Burton. But the role was still a holograph in three forms. They had a large head of Liam Neeson. Creepy. The full body. Also odd. And in the background on the screen. More normal. Mm Mm-hmm. In 2014, the Final Arena Tour added lyrics to a previously instrumental song, and H.G. Wells was added as a character in three stages of life. (laughs) No one asked for that. It just makes me laugh for some reason. I think it's really interesting. And where did they put him? I don't know. Does he just show up? Like, I want... They have changed the script so many times. Ugh, okay. Now, if you want to actually see this show... I do, I do. You can! Oh my gosh! Um, Even in quarantine? Mm-hmm. Now, earlier in quarantine, Andrew Lloyd Webber had a series called The Show Must Go On, uh, where he would put out some of his recorded musicals, including Cats and... By Jeeves. By Jeeves! <laughs> and, and Love Never Dies, which I will defend forever. Um, his love for love never dies, never dies. <laughs> And they'll be continuing this series, not just with Andrew Lloyd Webber musicals, but also other musicals, including this very show. We think it's going to be the 2012 version, but on October 16th to October 18th, in between 2 p.m. and 2 (laughs) p.m. Eastern Time, you will be able to view it on YouTube at The Show Must Go On. We will... Make sure we remind you on Instagram and Facebook. So follow us to get a reminder or like 27. Mm-hmm. And maybe we'll have a viewing party. I don't know what we're going to do, but we're going to do something. Maybe we'll just tell you guys that we are going to watch it at probably like Friday or Saturday night. And we'll say, hey, we're going to press play at 8 p.m. or whatever. And we will update our stories as we watch it. Yes, and definitely interact with us. It'll be cool. We haven't seen this show yet. Nope. Um, it is widely available to watch in the UK, the 2006 and 2012 versions on DVD. And I am personally ready to see Liam Neeson in three forms, no less. <laughs> yes. And uh, w- w- I actually tried to buy this show and you can't find it in the US. Very strange. But we actually could have had an opportunity to see this show in some iteration on our honeymoon but we didn't buy tickets to it because we are bad podcasters i don't know what i was thinking we were at the end of our honeymoon and then we were like wow we've spent a lot of money on this honeymoon i don't know if we should buy tickets to this it's a little expensive and also i'm night blind and we thought maybe i would run into things because it was an immersive War of the Worlds experience. <laughs> it would have been so much fun. I know. So clearly we didn't do it, but from things that I've seen online, there's portions of it where you wear VR goggles. 
There's portions where you take it off and you're actually running through a warehouse. That's the part where I was going to trip and die. Yes, yes. Uh, I might have as well. But you, you go through the streets of, of London and you see the, the, the red weed, which we'll talk about later, and other scary, spooky things. It was basically like um, kind of like pseudo haunted housey, but also Jeff Wayne's War of the Worlds musical combined. It would have been awesome. <sighs> they sigh. Well, if you've done this immersive experience. Oh my gosh, please email me. Yes, please tell us what it was like. We'll live vicariously through you. So, I know you're probably wondering, yo, why are y'all talking so much? Well, it's because, like we told you before, this is going to be a two-part episode. So do not worry, we are not going to skimp on the music or the summary or any of that. But we really, really think this show deserves a little bit more research and a little bit more time in order to get into the feel of it and to know what you're getting into and... I mean, who doesn't like to know some facts, right? Right. With that being said, let's talk about this story's original writer, H.G. Wells. He was born Herbert George Wells in Bromley, Kent, England, on September 21st, 1866. Some call him the father of science fiction. His works dealt with time travel, aliens, utopian societies, and mutants. He was the son of a domestic servant and a domestic gardener who eventually purchased a shop. His father was also a professional cricket player in Kent, and he was paid in donations, which is a strange thought. When Wells was eight, he broke his leg, which left him bedridden for some time, and to pass that time, he read library books that his father would get for him. This gave him the itch to write himself. However, only three years after his own leg injury, Wells's father fractured his thigh, which hurt their income. So H.G. became a draper apprentice at the South Sea Drapery Emporium Hides. And he hated it. After three miserable years, he became an assistant to a chemist and eventually studied biology at the Royal College of Science. It was there he became one of the founders of the Science School Journal, which not only allowed him to express his views on literature and society, but provided a platform for his creative writing, including an early version of his famous Time Machine. After he graduated, he stayed at Stoke-on-Trent near the area called the Staffordshire Potteries, which is six towns next to each other that were the center of ceramic production in the early 17th century and still are today. The Great Pottery Throwdown is located at one of the potteries at Stoke-on-Trent. Which, if you haven't seen that show, what are you doing with your time? It is like the Great British Bake Off, but with pottery. Yes, I think it's even the same production company. It's amazing. It's the most relaxing thing ever. And there's a very ridiculous man who cries at pottery because it's so beautiful. All right, H.G. Wells. All right. Some of his sci-fi imagery comes from his time living there, as he recalled the iron furnaces creating smoke and shooting red light into the skies. Now, after receiving a degree in zoology... Random. He became a teacher (laughs) for a bit, which is kind of random. Nah, he seems smart. He does. His first published book was a two-volume biology textbook. See, smart. And one of his pupils was A.A. Milne who wrote Winnie the Pooh. (laughs) 
After he left school, he moved in with his aunt and made money writing short stories for journals and magazines, which eventually led him to writing his first full-length novel, The Time Machine, in 1895. Now, it was during this time at his aunt's home that he fell in love with his cousin, Isabel. Weird. And the two married in 1891. I want to know when the law was passed that you weren't allowed to do that anymore. (sighs) But it certainly wasn't then. (laughs) Who knows? But the marriage didn't last. Surprise. Not surprised. And the two separated in 1894. When he fell in love with one of his students, also a little scandalous, Amy Catherine Robbins, later known as Jane. They had two children. And just in case you're like, oh my gosh, she fell in love with one of his students. It wasn't like a a high school student. She was like in her 20s. Oh. So less creepy, still creepy though. Not really creepy. You're not supposed to fall in love with your student. Well, it happens. It's illegal. It is? Yeah. Well, they also said you were allowed to marry your cousin, so I guess it wasn't (laughs) illegal then. I guess so. But this marriage with Jane wasn't happy either. He had multiple affairs with at least six different women, as much as 27 years younger than himself, and fathered at least two illegitimate children. He once said, quote, I was never a great amorist, though I have loved several people deeply. I don't know how I feel about that quote. (laughs) (laughs) Eventually, his wife Jane died in 1927. Since science fiction wasn't an established genre, at the time his work was categorized as scientific romance by booksellers. He wrote over 50 novels and countless short stories, articles, and nonfiction pieces. A few of his major stories include... The Island of Dr. Moreau. The Invisible Man. When the Sleeper Wakes. The First Men on the Moon. While a lot of his ideas, such as time travel or invisibility, weren't new in fiction, his writing added a sense of realism and a legitimate science base that allowed the reader to connect more closely to the material. He was a socialist, an advocate to equality and human rights, which led him to lay the groundwork for the 1948 Universal Declaration of Human Rights, which the UN adopted after he died. That's amazing. It really is. (laughs) Winston Churchill loved H.G. Wells and referred to the rise of the Nazis as, quote, the gathering storm, which is a direct quote used to describe the rise of the Martians in War of the Worlds. He's a huge influence on science fiction, which you can see even just by looking at War of the Worlds itself, uh, which has a ton of tropes still used today. He was nominated for the Nobel Prize in Literature, which I'm not really sure I understand, in 1921, 1932, 1935, and 1946. Always a bridesmaid, never a bride. He has a crater on Mars named after him, and I looked up to see what the exact name of the crater was. The crater is actually just named H.G. Wells. That's hilarious. (laughs) So, like, the Mars rover is like, I'm going to H.G. Wells now. Exactly. Beep, bop, boop. (laughs) He died of unspecified causes on August 13th, 1946, at the age of 79, at his home overlooking Regent's Park. So, you might have heard us say the name Richard Burton earlier, and most of you listening probably know who he is, but he did indeed star in the show. 
Richard Burton was born in Wales on November 10th. 1925 as Richard Walter Jenkins Jr. He lived in a Welsh-speaking family with 13 children. Whoa. His mother died when he was two, and he was raised by his sister and was later on adopted by his schoolmaster and vocal coach, Philip Burton. Now, Philip Burton also happened to direct the school plays and would often give Richard good roles, including Henry Higgins in Pygmalion, which caught the eye of playwright Emlyn Williams and landed him his West End debut. He went on to have an illustrious career on stage, including Shakespeare and musicals in the West End and Broadway. He won a Tony Award for originating the role of King Arthur in Camelot. And if you want to see a little tiny clip of him, you can watch the video that we have on our Instagram or on our IGTV. I don't know what you're supposed to call it anymore. Uh, <laughs> about uh, Julie Andrews' birthday, there's a little clip of him playing King Arthur to her Guinevere. His movie roles are vast, but some highlights include Mark Anthony in Cleopatra, across from Elizabeth Taylor, whom he was married to twice, The Spy Who Came In From The Cold, Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, 1984, and Equus. He was also a replacement in the stage version of Equus in 1976. Now, here's the crazy story. To get Richard Burton to do his show, Jeff Wayne gave Burton the script at the stage door of Equus and enclosed a letter as to why he thought Burton would be a great fit for it. Dude has cojones. (laughs) Three days later... Burton's manager called Jeff and told him that he loved the idea and to count him in. Take the risks, people. Do you think that would work today? I don't know, but it's worth a try. Yeah. Richard Burton died August 5th of 1984. Spooky. Wow. All right. We have made it to... The show! Yay! We've bored you enough with history facts, but I we're going to do it again at the end of the show. History is not boring. No, it's not. I hope we made it fun. Anyway, we do have to tell you a little disclaimer before we start. There is no summary on the album cover or in the booklet of this show. They just have the entire show transcribed, which yes. is awesome, but... Doesn't really help us because we're not going to put on the whole show for you because I think we'd get sued. (laughs) (laughs) But if you want to put on a living room reading, find a copy of this and you could do it. Yeah. And I don't know. I mean, I'm sorry you're missing out on me playing Richard Burton, but (laughs) it is what it is. I do want to note, though, that the album is beautiful. Oh, yeah. We're going to put it on the Instagram. There's lots of fun images throughout. Oh, yeah, there's two-page spreads of many, many images from the show. But again, no summary. So, we wrote one ourselves. And I have to say, this is a great summary. We're going to try and put it on Wikipedia because theirs (laughs) stinks. (laughs) But because this show has all of the action happening during the songs, we're kind of going to summarize the song and then play it. Because everything is underscored. There's speaking and there's dialogue, but it's underscored. So everything happens within the song, if that makes sense. Yes. So it's not a typical musical structure where talk, 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 leading to I'm now singing it to you. Right. So this is going to be a little difficult 
to follow maybe because we're going to summarize what happens in the song. But these songs are long. So lots happen. So we'll get to the end of it and then play the song and it'll go back, you know, to a completely different scene maybe. But hopefully you're there with us and we're not confusing you. (laughs) (laughs) It's kind of always my goal because I get confused often. So with that, should we begin? I guess so. All right. I'm scared. (laughs) Few men even consider the possibility of life on other planets. And yet, across the gulf of space, minds immeasurably superior to ours regarded this Earth with envious eyes. And slowly and surely, they drew their plans against us. The show opens with a journalist, Richard Burton, the narrator and main character in the story. He notes that in his time, few people had even considered that there was life beyond Earth. Little did they know, otherworldly beings were envious of its resources and were waiting for the right moment to pounce. They wouldn't want it anymore. (laughs) No. Oh, goodness. On the night of August 12th, in the last years of the 19th century, there is the sighting of a flare of luminous gas, followed by green mist erupting from the surface of Mars on a trajectory towards Earth. Oh, no! This happens for ten straight nights. Oh, no. Ogilvy, an astronomer, assures the journalist that there is nothing to fear because he himself does not believe there to be alien life. And if he doesn't believe it, then it's not real. Mm-hmm. He is a scientist named Ogilvy, after all. <laughs> the chances of anything coming from Mars are a million to one. But still, they come. Yes, the chances of anything coming from Mars are a million to one, he said. Chances of anything coming from Mars are a million to one but still they come. so I just want to note that the singing that we hear on this even though it's clearly not Richard Burton singing although he could, and that would be amazing, is the sung thoughts of the journalist. Completely different guy singing, but the singing is indeed the journalist thinking. Weird. (laughs) (laughs) What was thought to be a falling star crashes onto Horsell Common, creating a very large crater. Ogilvy approaches the massive cavity and discovers a glowing cylinder about 30 yards across with noises coming from inside it. And then you turn around and leave. Yeah. Right? Why didn't I... Then you call the police. Bye. That is not Ogilvy's response. Hmm. The cylinder begins to unscrew. Oh, definitely leaving. Convinced there's a person inside. There. Okay. Ogilvy rushes to help. Oh. But he is stopped by the heat radiating from the cylinder. I want to say that 
I'm pretty sure Ogilvy dies, even though we don't actually confirm that. It just says he rushes to help. I mean, I know I wrote this and we wrote this, yes. but, <laughs> but I have to say it is incredibly vague in the summary. So we had to look it up what happened in the book and Ogilvy does indeed die. Yes, he's the first one to die. Because we wondered when we were writing the summary, where did he go? Yeah, <laughs> it's like he rushes to it and he stopped by the heat radiant. He's just stopped. Right. I thought maybe he felt that it was getting hotter and thought maybe I shouldn't go any further. But no, he combusts. Stopped dead. Wah, wah. <laughs> <laughs> the world is silent. No one knows what is about to occur. What I just described to you happens during the opening track called The Eve of War. Let's listen. Amazing. I mean, full disclaimer, we've heard this album before. It's been a while. But, yeah. But we haven't listened to it super closely. It's kind of something in the background because it makes me want to dance so much. Right. We kind of clean the house to it. <laughs> yes. Is that weird? And this song is the biggest earworm and it comes back into my head over and over and over again. And it's not an unpleasant thing. Also, it comes back over and over again in this show <laughs> it's true like the theme he's very into themes he's very like a john williams you know he writes a theme for each thing and yes. when that thing shows up so does the song some some light motifs i guess I yeah think. also i do have to note richard burton's voice is like super iconic in this and works very well i know i don't know how liam neeson's gonna do it i don't know so there's a lot of movements to this song it is actually nine and a half minutes long (laughs) and yes we did not play nine and a half minutes for you absolutely not just Just now it is very long and it does go through the entire plot that i have read for you but they do repeat themselves a lot. It feels a lot like a jam session when they're like, I love this bit. It's very, you know, Grateful Dead concert where they're just like going off on their own thing for 10 minutes. And you're like, this song on the record was like six <laughs> minutes. Well, I don't know what they're doing. But the song on this record is nine and a half minutes and they had a grand old time. Mm-hmm. I'm sure that when you see it in the concert version, there's a lot of crazy stuff happening and lighting effects and projections yeah i i feel like this is going to be kind of like a trans-siberian orchestra tour yeah where it's like a lot and you're like well i didn't know it was going to be this much (laughs) but if you had the 
the the joy and blessing of staging it in the future, you could probably put a lot of dance in there because that makes me want to dance. I know it kind of <laughs> makes me want to do jazzercise moves. I was doing someone called moves. Dorinda Medley. <laughs> You were outing us as Rony fans. I don't care. I am proud. Me too. <laughs> it does have a movement that is super trippy. I mean, the whole thing is kind of trippy. Mm-hmm. But when the pan flute comes, it is like, <laughs> what in the world? Then you remember, oh, yeah, this is 1978. Yeah. I could almost <laughs> hear this being played at like a disco. But it was played on a few seasons ago, the UK version of Dancing with the Stars, Strictly Come Dancing, oh, a couple yeah. did actually dance to this. I need to put that video on Instagram. I will do a clip of it. It is epic. All right, let's keep going. I want to meet the aliens. Well, by the next morning... A crowd gathered on the edge of the basin to watch the cylinder unscrew itself. This is not a normal human reaction, I have to say. Yeah, everyone's like, you know what? I'm going to go towards the aliens. What? (laughs) I mean, to be fair, at this time-ish, maybe, they they weren't super familiar, but I just feel like it's an inborn human reaction. They're like, what is that thing? I better go. Darwinism. Ah. True. When this lid falls off, a glistening Martian with two large eyes and a lipless mouth full of tentacles emerges. Ooh, it's like a Lovecraft creature. Yeah. Wait, when did Lovecraft write stuff? (laughs) Holding for research. Well, actually... Looks like Lovecraft wrote more in the 20s and 30s. So, definitely inspired by these little weirdos. Mm-hmm. When a group of inquisitive young men slowly approached the now open cylinder. Stupid people, stupid. They are instantly turned to fire. Serves you right. <laughs> by the heat ray, an advanced Martian weapon. The journalist flees with the crowd, fearing that he will be the next victim of the heat ray. Normal human reaction. That is normal. But also, you shouldn't have been there to begin with, but Correct. okay. He arrives safely at his home, where he writes an article for the next day's newspaper. Not a normal human <laughs> no! reaction. Well, I guess, I don't know, I'm not a journalist. Maybe that's that's a good journalist instinct? It would be. I guess, I yeah. suppose. Breaking news. The next morning, he's unsettled by the townspeople going about their daily business as he goes to pick up the paper. Don't judge other people when you're about to go get the paper like it's normal. Yeah, also didn't... I'm guessing the article he wrote is in that paper. What, does he need it for his scrapbook? (laughs) He wrote it. (laughs) He doesn't need it. The Martians are heard hammering, and every so often, a beam of light sweeps the common, preparing to incinerate anyone coming to disturb their work. Soldiers arrive later that afternoon and are deployed around the perimeter of the common. The journalist spends a restless night at home as the world outside is full of violent crashes and he fears his home is now in range of the heat ray. Then leave! Yeah, why has he been around so long? Why would you just... I don't know. I feel like the soldiers, if they were doing their job, should have evacuated the town. Yeah, Instead of just standing around the perimeter, like, don't worry, guys, we got it. It won't leave this crater. No, tell the townspeople they should go away. And again, he's weirded out that everyone's being normal. Well, he's being normal, too. (laughs) 
Right. Like, <laughs> very, very odd. But then at dawn, a second cylinder falls to earth. No, ma'am. And everything I just read is in the song Horsell Common and the Heat Ray. <laughs> to the 70s goodbye 60s pan flute <laughs> this I've, I've said this word a few times but this is like a true use of this word this is like very funky oh like the like, actual definition of funk yes oh yeah there's like slap bass there's a really cool thing that you pointed out the it's like a distorted wah sound yeah guitars make really weird sounds and i don't know how they do it <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like i usually hear these two sounds separate the wah and the distortion but it's like a very distorted guitar yeah it's a guitar is it yeah or is it a synthesizer it's definitely a guitar i have no idea i need a musician <laughs> it, it's a uh, I. Well, now I'm questioning myself, but it sounds to I me... I mean, you would know better than me. <laughs> like, it's a, it's a wah pedal and a distortion pedal, and they're just plucking. It's creepy and awesome. <laughs> so, this song, firstly, it's all instrumental, and Richard Burton's amazing voice. But even if you take that out, you can feel the movements... Um, well, he makes it very easy for you. That's true. Jeff Wayne is really good at creating little motifs for everyone. So the heat ray has its own motif. Mm -hmm. The common has its own motif. At least I think it does. And you could hear the the hammering. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And did I hear the soldiers? I think I heard the soldiers. I mean, something happened when the soldiers were there. I mean, I didn't hear men going like, deploy, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> like, they didn't do that. But there was definitely a change in the music when the soldiers came. For sure. Not a super change because it layered on top of what was already happening. Because the aliens didn't go away when the soldiers showed up. It's enough for me to imagine what's happening on stage in my head if I were to stage it. Either either dancey dance or or movie move, movie move. Yes, movie move. Ah, I see. For the movers out there, <laughs> not the shakers. No. Uh -oh. Well, well uh, no, them them too. Okay, okay. They're invited to the party. Okay. This is a party. It's definitely a party full of death and heat rays <laughs> and um, uneasiness in the Victorian era. I have to say, the I think it's the the common theme sounds kind of romantic in my ear 
Well, it is a scientific romance. It's true. But I don't think that's where the romance no, 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 no. is. It'll come later. <laughs> but it does sound romantic to me. It sounds like it could be a early 80s power ballad. Yeah. Like every rose has its thorn. Off Mikey hates that song. I, um, I, I do a little. <laughs> and it's partially because of that reality show. That I forced him to watch. We watch very a lot enjoyable. of reality TV, it's we are admitting good. today. <laughs> The heat ray sound sounds kind of like the beginning of a James Bond movie. Yeah, I couldn't figure it out. There's a specific song that it sounds like. I know exactly what you're saying. And I do think it's a James Bond feel. It feels very epic. Like the tension is mounting. Something's about to happen. What is about to happen? I don't know. You tell me. Oh, yeah. I have it in front of me. (laughs) And we also wrote it, so we definitely know. But I kind of forgot. <laughs> yes. <laughs> An injured artilleryman wanders into the journalist's home and tells him many soldiers have been killed. The journalist assumes they were killed by the heat ray. Fair assumption. But the artilleryman explains that the Martians are now operating mobile fighting machines, which are massive tripod vehicles, each armed with their own heat ray. Uh-oh. They killed the soldiers by picking them up and bashing them on trees. <laughs> like little bunny foo-foo? Scooping up the field nice and bopping them on the head. Are they just doing it because they can? Because they have a heat yeah. ray. And may- I, I, Maybe they don't want to kill the bushes and trees oh, and things. Oh, you're right. Because they, want- they want our earth. Mm-hmm. They just want us not there. Oh, and maybe they have ammunition. Like, they only have a limited amount of heat for the ray. Oh, ma- heat for the ray. <laughs> I'm just assuming here. I don't know the actual science of uh, the Martian weapons. I don't think anyone does. The journalist mentions the landing of a second cylinder, and the artilleryman reasons it was headed towards London, which makes the journalist leap into action. But why? His lover, Carrie... And her father lived there. Why didn't he mention this before? I have no idea. Aliens are on the earth. Isn't one of the first things you would do is like, I should tell my loved ones (laughs) that they should maybe go to a very, very remote area, not a major city. Mm -hmm. But meanwhile, like things have been happening in his backyard and he's just been like, oh, I'm so scared. I'm just going to sleep. I'm just going to sleep and write articles it's very odd yeah he keeps judging everyone else but he's not doing a great job (laughs) (laughs) the artilleryman feels compelled to report to headquarters which is also located in london how convenient on their way they are caught in a crossfire between the martians and soldiers the town is armed with six cannons which they used to destroy a fighting machine and kill the martian inside Ooh, nice job. The journalist seeks refuge from the heat ray in the water. That's actually not a bad idea, I guess. I guess, but water boils. It's not an ice cube. Well, he seems okay. The artilleryman disappears into the fleeing crowd. The journalist washes up on the shore, resigned to death. The Martian starts to retreat with the remnants of their fighting machine and almost crush him. Ah! Wait a minute. Just a note. Yeah. This artillery man is all 
I need to report to headquarters and see how I can be useful. Mm -hmm. And then in the actual crossfire, he's like, I'm going to run with the crowd. I can't be here. (laughs) Like he's an artillery man. So he should have some artillery. I mean, he might have used it all. Oh, but also artillery list man. Let's be real. (laughs) If thousands of people already died, all these soldiers already were killed. How did this guy survive? He probably hid behind a tree like a wimp. Oh, yeah. I don't know. Just a thought. Super smart. Super smart? To hide. You are obviously not a Gryffindor, (laughs) and neither am I. I would definitely be hiding. I'm not a fighting machine. No, me neither. Mm -mm. I would dig a hole. I would actually go to a cave in the middle of nowhere and just eat berries and (laughs) pray for the best. Well... Everything that I've just described is included in the song, The Artillery Man and the Fighting Machine. We're not really creative on titles yet. It's okay. We know what's going to happen. A fifth machine appeared on the far bank. It raised itself to full height, flourished the funnel high in the air, and the ghostly terrible heat ray struck the town. As it struck, all five fighting machines exulted, emitting deafening howls which roared like thunder. song we are introduced to the martian war cry speaking voice i don't know either way the martians say ooh Ooh, la not like that obviously (laughs) but it's creepy yeah and it gets stuck in your head does it to me just them saying ooh la over and over again yeah that's terrifying it's weird and it it is kind of otherworldly it is i think they did a really good job Mm mm-hmm it's it's definitely a unique sound. I really do enjoy the use of guitar solos in this. Oh, yeah. They're like shredding it yeah, on guitar. I've, it is intense. Lots of death and destruction, as um, I mentioned in the summary portion. I think that's reflected through the guitars. It's What I find interesting is that even though I will defend till the day I die, this is a 100% musical there hasn't been that much singing yet. And we are talking a lot about instrumentals, but instrumentals are a very important part of a show. I don't know what categorizes something 
as a musical necessarily. Because is this traditional? No. Not at all. Does it use music to propel the plot of the story? Yes. Mm-hmm. So it's a musical? And there are definitely characters that sing. There's definitely dialogue. There's dialogue in this, not just a monologue. Yeah. I guess the question is, do musicals have to have a lot of lyrics in order to be a musical? Mm. I'm still on the fence. I am very 100% this is a musical. This is a musical. The end. But it's not the end of the show. No, no, no. Far from it. (laughs) (laughs) This song includes one of my laugh out loud moments (laughs) where Richard Burton remembers that he has a girlfriend or lover, whoever it is. (laughs) He takes a beat and then you hear him thinking like somehow you can hear him thinking. 100%. London. That name sounds familiar. <laughs> Carrie! <laughs> and Carrie. I hadn't dreamed there could be danger to Carrie and her father so many miles away. I must go to London at once. And me. Got to report to headquarters. If there's anything left of it. Best boyfriend ever. Very odd storytelling, but I enjoy it. W- would you say that's your favorite lyric of the show? So far. Besides <laughs> Ula. Three days later, the journalist makes his way to Carrie's home, but finds it empty. Spooky! He joins the masses in a pilgrimage to the Thames. The crowds witness the fighting machines cut through bridges one by one, getting closer and closer. Oh, no! Actually, having been there, though, that would be very scary. Oh, yeah, no, terrifying. (laughs) The crowd's momentum moves him towards a packed steamship where he locks eyes with Carrie. Oh my gosh. Already safely on board. Hallelujah. Is she safe though? I don't know. We'll see. They try to get to each other, fighting through the throngs. But the gangplank is raised and the ship embarks without him. Oh no. The events in the song are included in the track, Forever Autumn. A much more poetic title than the titles we've been getting. Mm-hmm. At that very moment, it was raised, and I caught a last glimpse of her despairing face as the crowd swept me away from her. Like the sun through the trees, you came to love me. Like a leaf on a breeze, you blew away. Not 
pan flute has returned. <laughs> it has. But the pan flute is playing with a lot more lyrics around it. That is true. It is not the lead. There are lead vocals. Yes. Um, this song is extremely different than what we've heard so far. Very much so, yes. Um, and I do have to put a little bit of background on this because um, it's it's important and very interesting, I think. So this song was actually written for a Japanese Lego commercial. You can find this. <laughs> on, <laughs> you can find the actual commercial on YouTube. I will put it on the Instagram. Now, this is the first song, too, where you see the lyrics by Gary Osborne, who writes the lyrics to pretty much the rest of the songs that you hear in the show, but also lyrics um, by Paul Vigris. And there are no other lyrics by Paul Vigris in this show. Now, in Japan, the Lego commercial did so well as a, a jingle that Paul and Gary wrote a full-length version that was a top single in Japan, <laughs> which is so weird. Now, this version of the song, too, though, it was a top single in the UK. Like, this is a popular song. It's crazy. It did so well that uh, the radio edit single was released for purchase in 1981. This song is so emo before it, emo was a thing. Yeah. It is it is very I I, I typed a few lyrics as I was listening to it. Uh -huh. like, like the sun through the trees, you came to love me. Like a leaf on the breeze, you blew away. <laughs> like what? <laughs> I know. I wrote down wait, I didn't write this down. I I have the lyric yeah. right here. Through autumn's golden gown, we used to kick our way. You always loved this time of year. Those fallen leaves lie undisturbed now. Because you're not here. <laughs> it's like a little kid's diary. It sounds like Mortified. If you've ever listened to that podcast, you should check it out. It's hilarious. But it sounds like a diary entry from Mortified. Oh, yeah. Like, I'm, I'm a teenager and I'm so deep. But I mean, I love it, <laughs> but it's just funny to think that these are the thoughts happening in Richard Burton's head, <laughs> yes. because I feel like he's way deeper than this. Also, I was imagining, because again, this this is the sung thoughts of the narrator. Um, sung strangely as another tidbit by the lead singer of the Moody Blues. But could you imagine Richard Burton actually singing this? No. I was imagining, I was trying to imagine it in my head. I can't. <laughs> I Lo cannot. Lost opportunity. It is so interesting how poetic these lyrics are compared to what we've had so far where... Nothing's happened. No. I mean... Like, lyrically, I mean. Yeah. We haven't really had many lyrics to go off of, and these are very flowery. Yeah. Also, I have to say, Justin's little riffs at the end of all of his phrases are killing me. <laughs> I love them, but they're so funny. <laughs> they are. It's just because we haven't had any real singing yet. So it really is catching me off guard mm -hmm. to have artistry going on. But even though it feels different, it definitely fits in. I mean, it's still orchestrated by the same person. So it works. Yeah. And the aliens show up for a second. Yeah. Right? Don't they oola? They do oola. Okay. I think they'll keep oolaing 
till the day they die. Mm-hmm. If they die. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's keep going. Yeah. <laughs> As the fighting machines threaten the steamship. Oh, no. The HMS Thunderchild. I'm sorry. <laughs> the fact that they named this ship Thunderchild <laughs> makes zippity doodah sense. And they also refer to it like it's a person, which makes me think of a giant baby, like a giant <laughs> baby Zeus holding a lightning rod. Uh, well, I was thinking of James Bond's Thunderball. Oh my gosh, which I is, forgot about Thunderball. Which is very different. Uh, side note, I'm a dog walker and general pet care person. And I used to care for a cat named Thunderballs, which was hilarious in and of itself. And he was very sassy. He was a sassy orange tabby. And he got out one day, not when I was there, when his parents were there. I did not lose an animal. Never. But... They had to put up signs <laughs> saying that they lost Thunderball. Thunderballs. Oh, yeah, Thunderballs. <laughs> <laughs> it was really funny, but it was only funny after we found him. It was very, very scary yes. when he was missing, mm-hmm. but he did come back. He's just a stubborn brat, but Thunderballs, <laughs> the cat, was so funny. Well, the HMS Thunderchild. I will never not laugh. I'm sorry. Diverts their attention by bringing a fighting machine to its knees. This buys time for the steamship, but the Thunderchild is not so lucky. Oh no, poor baby Thunderchild. It is melted by the heat rays, (sighs) taking with it humankind's last hope. (laughs) Yet, there is a small glimmer in the distance through the smoke. The steamship has reached the horizon. Okay. Carrie is safe. I don't think so. (laughs) Like, considering that these machines are huge and are knocking over bridges, I'm pretty sure that they could get to the horizon in a minute. They could just saunter over there and heat ray them, too. Yeah, and there's more than one of them. And the boat is kind of on a fixed path because it has to follow the water. Oh, yeah. I mean, it has like, to be on the river. It yeah, can't, it like, sprout river. legs. Yeah, like these... It's not like one of those duck boats <laughs> that we have here. Moving swiftly through the waters Cannons blazing as she came Rolls a mighty vessel warlord Crashing down in sheets of flame Sensing victory was nearing the Martians released their black smoke, but the ship sped on, cutting down one of the tripod figures. Instantly, the others raised their heat rays and melted the Thunderchild's valiant heart. So, that song was very metal. And I know this is kind so of... So metal. Mm-hmm. I don't know what that means. I mean, I do. <laughs> I listen to metal with you, but yes. you know the categories. So, so, again, another glimpse into my life. 
outside of musicals and as you may have learned now horror movies i love metal and listening to this i i get the glimpses of metal the it's it's very guitar heavy and I, I wanted to go just a step further, but I know that's not the point. What kind of metal do you think this is closest to? I mean, it, it is close to 70s, like, hair metal. Just Is it? Ish. Ish. But this is, it's like epic, epic metal. Yeah, I, I see that. I see that. I would see some, some epic. It feels metal, very some, epic. Some power metal in ways. That's my opinion. I know other metal people would be like, that is absolutely wrong. And that's fine. We can we can disagree. Email us if you disagree with Mikey <laughs> at buriedbroadway at gmail.com. But in reality, this whole album is prog rock. Okay. Which is... Um, it's a big umbrella, right? A huge umbrella. Okay. Uh, it's Some people just say prog rock is art rock. And I've never heard of art rock. Uh, like, it's it's artistic rock. It's not meant to be danced to. It's meant to be listened to. I feel dancey. Yes, that's why I don't fully agree that it's with that definition but i do I was literally dancing <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> but i do agree with the definition of, of of movements within the rock piece uh-huh i see that and using of modern technology at the time because this is when prog rock was like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. like incorporating different instruments that you don't usually hear in rock and i love that that is all over the song this song also has lyrics yeah it does not as poetic as Forever Autumn. No, but, but still kind of. And allow for another amazing run. <laughs> yes, yes. Now, I do have to note the character, quote unquote, singing is the collective voice of humanity. So deep. So, <laughs> <laughs> so, so far in this show, we have heard the journalists... Brain. Inner thoughts. Yes. Singing. The journalist's brain. <laughs> yes. The journalist's inner thoughts singing. And now we have heard the collective voice of the world. The people. Of the people. Do you hear the people sing? Do I, yes. We do. In the song. <laughs> the people are singing through this one man about the Thunder Child. I can't. With the name, I will never. <laughs> I want someone to name, like a rapper, to name their kid Thunderchild. <laughs> I don't think it's out of the realm of possibilities. No, it's not. Someone at all. tell Kanye. <laughs> <laughs> but I also do think it's funny that the voice of humanity is just singing about a boat. They're just. It was their one and only hope, yeah, Obi Wan Kenobi. It's like moving swiftly through the waters, cannons blazing as she came, brought. A mighty metal warlord crashing down in sheets of flame. Now, the that's rhymes, the rhymes. Metal imagery there. <laughs> like, very epic, very cool. But, like, why is the voice of humanity singing this? Well, who else is it going to be? The boat. Oh. <laughs> I want the boat to sing. That would have been a good idea. Yes. I mean, why not? Oh, wow. Um, The boat singing would have been... You could have it, like, scream at the... (gasps) I want this to go further. I want this to be... But all this being said, I like this song. Oh, no, I really like it. But now that you brought it up, I do want to hear the Thunder Child sing. Yeah. But it's dead now, so it can't. No. (laughs) The Thunder Child shows up, 
uh, humanity sings a song and then it fails. And that brings it to the end of act one. Well, yes. The song kind of trickles out. A lot of these songs are trickling out. Mm-hmm. And I have to say, when we were listening to it, you were like, oh, it could have ended earlier. Yes, because there is a, a final oola uh, mm-hmm. from the aliens. Mm-hmm. And it, the song, to me, then comes to a satisfying end of act one where I'd be like, yes, I'm going to go stand up now. I enjoyed well, that. Okay, but here's the thing. You can do that. Okay. But what if the remainder of what is playing, mm-hmm. what if that is just playing as the exit music? Oh. To set this eerie feeling of this is what the world is now. Because you hear the heartbeat of the people. The mm-hmm. anxiety is building. They don't know what is happening. The Martians have taken over the world. There are ambulance sounds. There are weird aliens searching for things to kill. There's a mixture between organic sound and metal. And I love that. (sighs) Okay. I can see that. If you were to direct it, I would say you do that. I mean, I also just think you you have it go to black and you have people sit in that noise. Okay. And trap them. Like, they think it's over, and they start to clap, and they're like, okay, end of act one done. Clap, clap, clap. The lights never come back up, (laughs) and they are stuck in this eerie movement until I decide to release them. (laughs) You're you're selling me with this this concept? I mean, Um, Madam Director. I wish that we had seen what this was like in the immersive Uh, experience. I bet it was something very similar. We'll never know. We might know. I don't know. So, like I mentioned, this is the end of Act 1. Which normally means we tell you to pause it and go pee or do whatever the heck you want to do. But today, we are actually going to leave you. Goodbye. Uh, Because it's going to be a two-part episode. So, so long. Farewell. (laughs) (laughs) that's right with a two vinyl album comes a two-part episode at least this time around so we will see you later on in october yeah and you'll hear the rest of the show plus more history on the show itself and the writers as well as others in the cast but don't forget to still follow us on instagram because we are going to to do something when the War of the Worlds gets put onto The Show Must Go On. And that is, again, on October 16th is when it goes on. And it leaves October 18th. So you have that amount of time to see it. And we will remind you incessantly. And maybe we will do a little live storying. Is that a thing? Or at least watch it on your own because it's going to be awesome. Well... That is all for today, leaving you in the middle of a show for the first time. It feels really weird. Very odd, Mm -hmm. but thank you so, so much for listening. Yes, thank you so, so much. If you like what you heard so far, please leave us a review on iTunes or whatever listening platform you choose. But only if it's nice. Yeah. If you want to email us any suggestions, you can do that at buriedbroadway at gmail.com. And like I said, Instagram, yada, yada, Facebook, yada, yada. Yeah, we really appreciate all the support so far. Yes, 
thank you guys and please help spread the word tell your friends share our page on your instagram or on your facebook we would really really appreciate it what What will we dig up next act two of this show the end of war of the worlds yes bye toodles I know we just played you some songs from the show. But that doesn't mean we have the rights, you know. We're educating you and ourselves, you see. With musicals lost in history. So please don't call your lawyers. That would kill the vibe. We just want to make podcasts. And keep buried Broadway alive.